0: Hello, Proximity Church, Joe Steinke here coming to you from the USA. I've been invited by Cheryl to bring your kind of teaching today for the end of your God Story uh, survey, which is really delightful. I have had the privilege of Hosting cohorts that have gone through an entire biblical reflection year together. Um, I think I did like 14 or 15 years in a row with a cohort um, in some setting, starting in Genesis and walking through the entire scripture through Revelation and just talking through the epic narrative themes of the scriptures and the characters and the context and the historical uh, movements that went through that. And then how do you hold the scripture as a, a book of literature with all of its variety of genres and literary functions? And how do you parse it well without asking the Bible to mean more than it can by just being a book of literature, you know, so you get all these different ways that you're invited into this idea of how do we hold the weight of the scriptures in such a way that gives us the, the, the meaningful narrative, you know, the story of God, the God story in such a way that informs us of this rich, and progressive movement of God's purposes in the earth. And so I have just delighted in that for years. And so what I'm going to try to do is not do everything today in my assignment, which is speaking to the development of the God story within the early church. Um, I would recommend that if you want more of this specific kind of narrative thread and characters and developments and encouragements and exhortations, that you look at the extensive notes that Cheryl sent me that I think she can give to you from Alan Emerson. He just did a brilliant job with it. In fact, when you read the notes, it kind of sounds like a message being Like talk that to you anyway. And I feel like, man, you know, Al did such a thorough job with that, that I would like to let that be its own beautiful narrative survey that he's walking through. And you guys can read that on your own or take it for a spin in a different way. But what I want to do is actually talk... um, in a movemental uh, paradigm today, uh, thinking about how the early church in the book of Acts was the fulfillment of this prophetic assignment given to the disciples who became the apostles in the great commission. And so my, my, My my theme, kind of the the ordering uh, topic that's going to orient what we have a conversation today about and what we won't have a conversation about, is this idea of how does the Holy Spirit superintend in the book of Acts the birth and development and expansion of the kingdom of God through the church, in fulfilling this idea of the Great Commission, you know, Jesus' announcement over his disciples go, ye therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded, and lo, I'm with you till the end of the age, you know. And so, how does that sense of purpose of God in the commission of Jesus? bring about um, these developments within the, the birth and sustaining um, uh, Holy Spirit character of what the early church experienced. And so to do that, I'm going to um, share my screen with you. And in sharing the screen, we're going to go to um, a Prezi. So There. Hopefully you can see me up in the corner here. Maybe I'll make myself a little bigger. And then here's the the Prezi. Um, Prezi is just a little slideshow here. So we're going to look at this idea of the unfolding of the Great Commission in the Book of Acts as our our, our, our lens by which you're going to look at the book of acts through. Okay. So let's go. Let's go. Okay. Well, boop, there we go. The unfolding of the great commission and the book of acts. So down here at the origins of this spiraling movement of what, what's about to, to, to have, take place is this great commission. And so I already quoted it for you and we're familiar with it. And it has its, um, it's commissioning, you know, going, and you can, you can do a whole unpacking of that, you know, the going, uh, as you're going, it's an active verb, um, go ye therefore, and then into all nations, all into the ethnos, the people groups of the world, and, you know, go ye therefore into all nations, you know, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So they're being baptized into the names of God, the personality of the Trinity into the fellowship of that community and coming out, you know, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, um, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. So there's these commands of Christ and the teachings of Christ and the gospel, the way that, that the story unfolds. And you bring them into this um, this way of becoming. What does it mean to follow the way of Jesus? And what does it mean to participate in His kingdom? So Matthew twenty eight has these characteristics, but there's something cool also that happens here in the um, Acts one eight. And so right out right out of the gate, you've got Acts one eight, huh. and Let's read that so that we don't miss some of what's characterizing this here. So, uh, so when, when they had asked, this started verse six, um, they're talking to Jesus before his ascension. And he says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things and they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And this there's the ascension of Christ. And then um, angels say, you know, why are you, you looking up into the heavens? He will return the same way that he's left. So, but what we want to focus on is this idea, of this, this geographic expansion, which is one thing that's articulated in, in Acts eight is that when the Holy Spirit, they're, they're anticipating, okay, wow, the promise that Jesus was talking about, about the Holy Spirit, it's better that I go away and I'm going to send the Spirit to be in you and among you and sustain you. And so you have this power coming upon them, this what's called in the Greek word is dunamis or dunamis, and it's this infilling of power to... Grace you to do the works of God, to, to be available to the work of the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, the power of God. And when you receive that, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. So it's going to start in this geographic Jerusalem. But then Jesus is forecasting it's going to expand to Judea, Samaria, kind of regionally. And then, you know, we can expect this thing to move. Into the ends of the earth as a movement. So, seeing the church not just as a hyper-local spiritual family that has its own um, sense of identity and its purposes and its relationships and its character, I think that's a really important thing. And we're going to talk about the establishment of the of the church as this, um, you know, this family that comes together which you guys are really familiar with. I mean, you, you've you had a, a, a shared history under beautiful, you know, fathering and mothering graces of the Harmons for years. And now this expanded uh, leadership team and next generation leaders there. Um, but you have this sense of family, right? And so, but this, this family that somehow also has this commission of family that adopts a, a movement an expanding movement so then we get to into acts two and you have you know them them waiting in the upper room and we all know the story where the holy spirit falls upon them and it appears like a, 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 the experience is like a mighty rushing wind comes through the place almost like the breath of god breathing on this group of people. And and even like he breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit, and he breathed on them. Here's this wind coming in, this rushing wind that shakes the place. And then they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're speaking in all these foreign tongues, these languages they do not know. And it appears like light and fire are upon them. And so you have this sign and this wonder of these things going on. And, you know, this idea of fire upon the people, you know, is this, is this like, it's an echo back to, you know, (laughs) you know, this original God story strain of fire appearing upon, you know, Sacrifices in in Genesis, and in the appearance of God coming through to make a covenant uh, through through uh, the appearance of fire, and then you've got you know you've got uh, Moses and the burning bush and fire you know locating the presence of God and giving Moses his commission. And then later you've got fire on the mountain when the law is being given and Moses at Sinai and there's fire on the mountain. And it's all, you know, where the presence of God is manifesting these ways to give signature moments to say, Hey, the presence of God is here doing these things. And then you've got fire falling on the prophets of, uh, of Baal at Mount Carmel with Elijah and his, his, audacious calling upon God after saturating the sacrifice with water and firefalls and proves that God is God. And, 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 and then you've got, you know, uh, fire by night and cloud by day for the presence of God leading the people the, into their development uh, through the wilderness of, of God's 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 designing them to be a people that hold the presence of God. And so their direction is being given by fire. And then you've got fire in, in, the, in the tabernacle where the candelabra is lit and this continual fire is being tended to by the priests as the Holy of Holies, the space where God is there meeting upon them. And then even when Moses and Josh, Joshua would meet in the tent of meeting that the the fire would set upon the meeting place where, where God would speak to Moses as he speaks to a friend and give him direction there. And so, so you've got all this historical markers in the God story narrative of this. And then you come into the, and then you come into this moment where uh, all of a sudden fire is not upon objects or people or mountains or, in in, in uh, holy places, but it's falling upon persons for the first time, and you have this sign and this wonder that the dwelling place of God has become the, the hearts of human beings. No longer is there a temple, but, there, but we are the temple, and here's the first sign of that, falling upon human beings as a marker moment to say the dwelling place of God has become, you know, the uh, the human hearts and the, and, and the people of God gathered together anyway. So that's maybe that, that's my God story, little feature for you. You know, I just went through like big part of the narrative, just taking one idea, the idea of fire woo, and working it, you know, through this thematic lens, but this moment is beautiful. This other idea of speaking in other tongues that then are giving praise to God, that are heard within the people around is this testimony that from Abraham, right? You've got this Abrahamic covenant um, where, you know, I'm sorry, I'm I'm talking so much. I'm going to stop the screen share and get back to here. So, so you've got Abraham's (laughs) covenant, you know, I am going to make you a great father of many nations, many ethnos, many people groups, and you've got this, this, uh, this, this calling and commission on Abraham. And, and we know that this is a, a calling that, that you will be a blessing to the world through blessing. Uh, the blessing I'm going to land upon you is intended to bless the world. And it's a, it's a premonition and a forecast and a preparation of a people to be able to receive the, the Messiah and the, the Son of God the son of man coming, and then he becomes the one by which blesses the entire nations, but it's also coming through this idea. How are they going to be blessed? Well, they're going to be blessed with all the inheritance and riches and privileges and rights of sonship and daughterhood. And the way that that's going to get anchored and commissioned or embedded and imprinted is through the Holy Spirit, because Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes up comes he's going to teach you everything that i've commanded you but some of the principal work that he's going to do is he's going to um he's going to uh he's going to he's going to do this in that day you will know that i am in my father and you are in me or i am in my father and you are in me and i am in you i am mediating this gracious space of, of bringing together and reconciling all things between God and human beings in myself. And not only am I reconciling human human beings into myself, I'm reconciling all things. All of creation is coming together in me. And now I'm, we're going to fill this thing. We're going to fill the new humanity, the new creation that's been inaugurated by my death and resurrection in, in a new human being, new creation, first fruits of the new creation is the resurrected body of Jesus. <laughs> and now I'm going to fill it with my presence, with the breath of God. And, and, and so you have the wind of God coming in, the breath of God, and you hear from Paul later on, and this is an insight that comes in here that's important. Is that when the Holy Spirit comes, it's uh, Paul. Paul says it this way: is that um, the the Spirit's work is to come and and confirm our adoption as sons, our adoption as children of God. And so the the Spirit cries within us, Abba. Father, right? That's the first word is I've come uh, I'm giving you everything that is in your inheritance. And so here's, here's the promise in the first the, the first fruits of your inheritance is the Holy Spirit. Abba Father, you know. And so here, here's what's marking the God story and these themes coming into the birth of the church. I mean, we're just at Acts 2. Sorry, you guys. This is (laughs) going off a little bit. Okay, so we're at Acts 2. Let's keep going. I'm going to screen share with you again so we can uh, get on over here. We're going to go like that. There we go. All right. All right. Wow. Let's keep going. So what emerges, and we're really familiar with this, especially if you've been around like a house church movement for a while, this passage becomes kind of your anchor point for knowing what we call like the devotions of the early church. And they become kind of these these practices of the way that the community starts to try to walk out their way, following the way of Jesus in their love for one another. So here's this classic passage. And it says in Acts 2, 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Okay. So this input from the apostolic voices that had journeyed with Jesus in person, that were now imbued with power and demonstrative power that's going to be upon them. And um, and bearing witness to this story, this 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 Jesus gospel story. And so the apostles teaching in the way of Jesus, what he was instructing and to the fellowship. So this word fellowship is important because, um, well, we'll get into it uh, in a minute to the breaking of bread into prayers and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And Day by day, attending the temple together and then breaking bread in their homes they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. So this describes kind of this idyllic moment in the early church's experience, and um, man, if only we could (laughs) live in that frame, you know, all the time. Hopefully, you've experienced something in your in your spiritual family journey in the church where you were able to actually touch these things in some season where the somehow it came together. You know, we were. We're holding these devotions well, and so these devotions get broken down as kind of like principal things that we should be paying attention to as we're following the way of Jesus. We want to we want to attend to the teachings of Jesus and receive from those and let them shape, um, and develop, and mark our lives. The fellowship, this koinonia, koinonia, oftentimes. Um, Gets mistaken for just you know the um, you know the the Friday night uh, dinner party and dessert and you know laughter over wine at, you know with friends as like the fellowship, but this took on quite a different character in the early church, and the koinonia was known as um, this idea of a shared enterprise. Now, it has built within it the idea of, you know, affection and brotherly love and sisterly love and that. But it also has this idea like we're, we're partnering together in a fellowship or a partnership unto a common work, a common enterprise that we are engaged with, that we are sacrificing for. And so this idea of devoting themselves to the fellowship, was more than just they were throwing good dinner parties or lunches for each other's or brunches, but they were actually in a partnership for a purpose bigger than themselves. And that really comes forward in the testimony of the incredible generosity and sacrificial giving of resources to one another in every way. And so that's one of the markers of the birth of the church is its radical hospitality and generosity. And so you've got that as markers. The breaking of bread, sharing meals, the, the idea of a the love feast was a marker of where they would they would they would put a big table um of a, of a, of a big dinner table together. But they, but they were also alert to this idea of inviting the poor and the marginalized to the table so that they could partake at equal footing in an equal place at the table. And that was called the love feast. And so love feasts were often staged as ways for us to extend to a, to a table to the community where anyone can come and and, and be, we're all level uh, at the table of the Lord, and we're all receiving gifts from God together, and so oftentimes these were were put together, and then the prayers. There were rhythms of prayer that started morning, midday, uh, late day, and evening, that were part of the the Jewish uh, historical rhythms of the day of just the prayers, and so those seem to have carried on in the, in at least in Jerusalem as marker moments where the prayers were. Holding the people in in kind of this prayerful rhythm, but their prayers were probably taking on a little bit different character as they were learning more about what it means to be in fellowship with the Spirit and with and with Jesus. All right, let's keep going. So, you had people coming to faith daily, just phenomenal early stuff going on. Well, soon after that, the twelve apostles begin to oversee the expansion of the gospel from the Jews to the Samaritans and finally to the Gentiles. So this is a big sweeping section of Acts 3 through 12. And um, again, Al's notes here are super helpful because he goes in and starts to parse particular characters and how the gospel went from a Jew Jerusalem Jewish uh, uh, orientation to then this call to the Gentiles, and that particularly falls upon Saul, who becomes Paul. So let's look at that a little bit. Um, So the confident and bold witness of the early church in the midst of persecution and their radical generosity. We've talked enough about that, but Acts 4 is another testimony to Uh, these things that I'm just going to breeze past here for time's sake. So there's these marker moments in the book of Acts that you, you may miss if you're not alerted to them. And it takes maybe just, oh, I don't know, different scholars have approached how to parse the book of Acts. And one of the ways that it's marked is by these these uh, statements that seem to put a chapter break in the narrative, like the narrative, the God story is going on and here's all this stuff. And then there's these statements that are made. And, and, and this is one of them. Um, and in Acts 6-7, Luke is saying, the writer, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts, and it says, The word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continue to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests will become obedient to the faith. So he's marking like, here's the end of that Jerusalem story, and here's a summary statement of what was going on. And then he moves on to different geography and a different characters. So you can see that the the staging of the book of Acts is showing how the birth of the church and the momentum it, that was being created had some geographical, locational momentum. And then it's, 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 it's going to give testimony to its expansion, this idea like this was not just intended to stay put, but in some ways it's this unfolding of this commission from Jesus to go ye therefore, and then Acts one eight where Jesus is saying, "Hey, the Holy Ghost is going to fall upon you, and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth." So this is part of that movemental progression in the Book of Acts. All right, so the martyrdom of Stephen comes um, in Acts seven and eight, and is a beautiful testimony of Stephen's character and his gospel fluency. I mean, he talk about a God story rehearsal. You know, he, if you listen to his testimony uh, before he gets martyred, it's just one of the, you know, you could just see that, that he was one of these converts that held, just understood the implications of this, of the God story and, and, and why um, being the first martyr uh, was was maybe a sign of things to come, you know, as as those stood up, those who stood up against uh, the persecution. And then you've got Saul who becomes Paul as an agitator of this persecution, which is just a crazy plot development. You know, how you, and you know, certain characters that enter the story and they create these inciting incidents that you just go, oh my gosh, who's this person and lo and behold we know the story unfolds where somehow in the sovereign purposes of god <laughs> and who Saul is jesus himself decides myself through my voice maybe the holy spirit and working with me interrupts paul saul on his journey to Damascus, and we all—and you know the story—he has this radical conversion. He falls blind, and he has to go away and reflect. And then his blindness is healed when, um, <laughs> so uh, somebody comes and prays over him. Uh, so you've got this conversion. And here's another one of these marker moments that Luke puts in the narrative as he's showing the expansion. And so this is this this idea of the Great Commission. And you shall be, we talked about you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right? Now, and you shall be my witnesses in Samaria. And so here's this other like chapter marker after some of the God story, the narrative progresses. In Acts 9.31, it says, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. It continued to increase. Okay. So here's that marker. This is the intention, you know, go ye therefore, da-da-da, witnesses here, here, and here. This is a movemental thing. This is supposed to expand and fill the earth, you know? And so seeing the church, seeing the kingdom of God as a, as a family on mission movement, you know? So uh, what's next is um, Barnabas is sent from Jerusalem up to bear witness to see what's going on in um, Antioch, because some Gentile believers are coming to faith, and they're they're mixing it up with the Jews, and they kind of go, uh-oh, what's going on here? The Gentiles are receiving the Holy Spirit, and we didn't have anything to do with it. What do we do, you know? So Jerusalem sends Barnabas up, and he comes back and says, hey, it's it's real. Like, this is awesome, and here's, here's the story, and here's how, you know, why should we stand in the way of these Gentiles, coming to faith, you know? So what are we going to do? Well, Barnabas goes, and for some reason, there's this rumor about this Paul character who's been hidden out for at least, scholars think like a decade, (laughs) doing the development of this unseen work. Uh, And Paul goes and recruits him and brings him to Antioch to establish the Antioch believers. And we're not going to read Acts 11, 19 through 26, but one of the markers of it was that they just were there daily with them. They were breaking bread with them. And then it says that Paul and Barnabas taught these, and these, these believers in Antioch that were the first to be called Christians for a full year and laid these foundations. So imagine... Imagine what Paul was able to write in his letters later on in some of that Christology, that that gospel, that all the things that he was carrying with him being set as these foundations in Antioch and establishing them in that for, for a full year is just incredible to think about. All right. So the the establishment of the church in Antioch, Acts 12, 24. So here's another one of those markers. But the word of of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. So you've got this this idea that it's happening. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria in the church was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. And then it kept increasing. And then it went to Antioch and leaders got in there and started to sort out some things and set foundations. And then, but the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. And then right on the eve of that, you have this thing that happens. Paul and Barnabas are uh, with some other leaders and they're in prayer together. And in prayer, uh, the Holy Spirit speaks and says, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas for the work to which I called them. And so this work to which they've been called uh, now takes off in this next spiral of these movements of the Holy Spirit's guiding work and empowering work and uh, to these apostolic missionaries, you know, the the people that have it on them to to not just... um, be content with the nurture and, 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 growth and health and life of the community, which is essential. So don't hear me diminishing that, but also have this, um, there, there's some that are going to have this, you know, a bit of that, like the, the apostolic, the prophetic, the evangelist graces of Jesus upon certain people in, in a community that says, let's, Let's, let's see how the gospel wants to expand itself in, this, in, 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 in areas where it has not gone yet. And so you've got this assignment parsed out for Paul and Barnabas. And what emerges is uh, what, what some have said, like that there's three kind of primary stages that Paul's work with his team, his, his apostolic team that would go out took on three different um, movements and characterized the missionary journeys and the work. And so in some ways, the Pauline cycle uh, is what it's called, is the name given to a biblical template for apostolic translocal teams that go out to church plant and then establish maybe a, a hub base in in an established church that they come back to and are sent from, which Antioch becomes. All right, so the Pauline cycle has these characteristics to it. So um, there's there's three E's, which make it a little bit easy to remember. But so it's evangelize strategic cities, establish local churches, and then entrust next generation leaders. Let's just look at them one at a time. So evangelize, strategic cities. So it seems as though Paul's work began by taking the gospel to strategic cities, maybe better referred to as strategic areas. He preached the gospel, and then he gathered those new believers together around Christ's teaching and following the way, and quickly formed them into a church, like a a local spiritual family it seems as though a common thing that was strategic for Paul and his team was to appoint elders in every church. And so what are elders? They're they're recognized, mature family leaders that know how to bring wisdom to decisions and nurture and care for the community to make sure the relationships are healthy and that the, the ordered household of this extended family is functioning under the love of God and in the ways of God. And so, uh, so he, so he's, he's setting in these elders. He then moved on to a new area and expecting the churches to permeate the surrounding areas with the gospel where he's left a church behind. All right. So this is like evangelized strategic cities. All right. Um Then this idea that once those get evangelized and set a little bit in order where elders are placed and there's a community and there's some function, then there was this habit to cycle back, to go back and to establish these local churches. And in the establishment of them, this is what characterized this, on future missionary journeys... He would send letters with key men on his team, or he would personally visit them, seeking to establish them more firmly in the teaching or the way of Jesus in order that they would become strong. And an established church is not one with a pastor in a building, but rather a community of believers with strong leadership that they're so rooted in the gospel that they're that they have gospel fluency, they have spirit fluency, they have uh, following the way of Jesus fluency. That no one can come and try to upset um, these families with false teaching or wayward ways that would disorient what it means to be um, a, a healthy spiritual family under the righteous rule and reign of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so that's what was front and center for Paul. And if you, you know, you read his letters enough and you're like, okay, he starts strong out in the gospel on a lot of the big ones. And then he goes into pastoral conversations about how to order the household and what leadership looks like within the community. And so um, this establishment season is super important. And in some ways that makes up most of Paul's uh, conversation that we have um, in his epistles or his letters, all the books written to the different churches that he had either established or had some some influence with. All right, so evangelize strategic cities, establish local churches. And then you've got this third movement of the Pauline cycle and this is um, entrusting next generation leaders with this inheritance of the kingdom. And so what emerges is what might be known as the Paul and Timothy model. So the final piece of this um, paradigm uh, that's unfolded around this second half of the book of Acts and kind of dominates the entire God story uh, is... Is put in place, and this regards the third part of the Pauline cycle, the training of leaders. So Paul refers to this as entrusting the deposit of this sound doctrine, or following the way of Christ and His faithful example to that to others that would also um, be raised up in an in apprentice into this this expansion of the kingdom of Jesus work. So there were two spheres of leaders to whom Paul entrusted the churches. So one was local leaders, which are, you know, family leaders called elders, deacons who have kind of a servant grace that come alongside and fill out the resourcing of the the spiritual family, and deaconesses, and uh, based on age, character, family, and sound doctrine, Um, they were able to be recognized and invited and appointed. And much like you as a spiritual family have just done with Cheryl is a next generation leader. This is a classic example of that. You know, Cheryl is an 18 year old or whatever comes into the community, faithful daughter of the house, (laughs) daughter-in-law and to the founders, you know, and, but comes up, and gets, you know, apprenticed, and now she emerges as, like, the one that you go, hey, Timothea, <laughs> let's lay hands on you, and set you, you know, set you as, as, as the, the team lead, or I would just say, you know, in some ways, you just got to, she's a lead elder, And so that's the beautiful part of this, um, that you guys are experiencing this part of the Pauline cycle, this normative thing that seems to have emerged out of the New Testament practice. So and then ministers of the gospel or Paul's team, the translocal team, the Timothy and Titus types or Junia is another gal's name that was apostolic in her grace amongst the team members of Paul's traveling team their translocal apostolic church planting team. Um, They moved among the churches, strengthening and establishing them. So you have local leaders and then you have translocal leaders and they have a parsing of work in the fields that have a different kind of responsibility, but they're mutually submitted to one another and they recognize each other's authority and scope of authority between the local and translocal, which Paul did a lot of conversations about who he was to the elders, but then also respected them once they've been set in place. A lot of, lot of relational things to work out there that we in 24-7 communities and in 24-7 prayer are have learned our way into this. How does a team that I lead in the United States and one that Roger Ellis leads in the UK and Europe have a team that resources the churches coming alongside them, but we have this mutual submission in Christ to come together and do certain things that we do to help expand and establish the church, but then respecting the local house's elders and saying, you guys have governance over this, and we're here to serve, help, equip, tell us how we can come alongside of you. So that's the third part of the Paulian cycle. One of the things that just we'll just punctuate this with is most people don't know it, but Timothy went with Paul on his team when he was in his late teens and was used and was used to take the letter to the Thessalonians and help establish them when he was about twenty. But he worked on Paul's team until he was fully commended as a master craftsman into his late thirties, and so that's a pretty long apprenticeship. <laughs> In some of that work, but it probably took some seasons of life development, but then Paul actually commissions Timothy to take over the entire work of the region that Ephesus was in and um, before Paul goes on to Rome as his final destination, so I thought. um, You know, then the idea is that the Pauline cycle would continue so. One of the things one of the markers, and we'll finish with this um, that you see in the God story of the unfolding of the of the Great Commission within the work um, that's given description in the book of Acts is is Paul is on his Paul is on a journey and, and he knows he's going to to Jerusalem, but then eventually he he appeals, Uh, to the trouble in Jerusalem. And then he says, I I appeal and I want to go to Rome because that was his goal. He wanted to go to Rome, establish a beachhead there so he could expand into Spain. So Paul is always thinking about where is the gospel not? I want to go next to keep expanding out of these beachheads of resource to go. So, So that's happening. But on the way, he has a rendezvous with these very endeared elders from Ephesus. Um, and he meets them, I think, on the beach at Miletus, if I'm getting that name right. Anyway, this is x 20. You know, I'm going to read it because it's so precious, and then we'll just close with that. Uh, let's see. Acts. X... Sorry, I'm pulling it up on my phone here. Acts. X... 20 and verses 17. And maybe as I read this, you can take it as a, as a encouragement to where proximity is at right now in your new season of leadership and, and also thinking through, um, thinking through what it might mean to think of yourselves in a fresh way, as being a, a prayerful family that's on the mission of God. And um, how do you set the character and culture of your community around believing that we're, we're not just here, here for ourselves, which I don't think you are, but we're here to continue to see how the mission of God expands. You know, we're part of a movement. And what is our, what's, what's, what's our role to play in this movemental nature of the church? But here's, here's Paul's appeal to the Ephesian elders. You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom of God will see my face again, Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I do not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock and um, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day and night to admonish every one of you with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to keep you and build you up and give you the inheritance among those who are sanctified. So he just, he basically says his peace to them, but he's giving this like anchoring moment in this commissioning moment uh, to these elders to continue in the grace of God and be faithful, even if they have to suffer through it. So anyway, that, that kind of spends Um the rest of the narrative of how Paul goes and he's and, and he's gone through all the suffering. And um I guess the God story, you know, ends with uh Paul in Rome but hoping to go to Spain. But the God story never ends because we're we're actually in like what NT Wright calls, you know, the, the theater of this is that there is um a, uh, there's five acts to this story, you know, this God story. And we know what the first three have been, you know, there's, there's there's creation. And then there's the whole Abrahamic story of Israel pre Christ. And then there's the appearance of, of Jesus Christ. And then this commission and then this playing out of the church era, you know, the kingdom of God, this is act four or something like that. And we're playing this participation role as key characters in the unfolding story of God awaiting chapter five, you know, the return of Christ and the inauguration of the new kingdom. (laughs) So we actually have a real role in, in, in this, in this to play. So, um, I hope uh, this version of the early church uh, was encouraging to you guys and to proximity in this season. And um, we uh, love you guys and bless you in this, this new evolution of, of your development, you know, um, and uh, just pray a blessing on, um, on the the establishment and expansion of the kingdom through your guys' lives there uh, with the people that you're loving and reaching out to and holding space for the presence of God in your little part of the world. So um, thanks for letting me uh, go off for a while on this. All right. Bless you.